And so you guys can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, last Sunday, Steve Payne preached on the book of Zechariah. So that was a a welcome break from the book of Ephesians. But now we're back at it, and we're going to continue our series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, The Payne, Steve and Lisa Payne, as well as uh, Joel and Christy Peed this morning are up in Duluth. And so I think Joel and Christy are watching online right now. Uh, but they're serving the church and ministering to the church up there and helping uh, over this last weekend. So I'm sure it's been an uh, encouraging weekend, but also a busy week. Amen? So today, uh, if I could move my slide forward, what I want to talk about is learning to walk again. Uh, a couple Sundays ago, Joel actually was talking a little bit about the idea of walking And today I want to use this phrase of learning to walk again. That's going to be the title of the message because the word walk actually appears in the book of Ephesians a number of different times. Actually seven times throughout the book of Ephesians we see the word walk, uh, at least in the New American Standard Bible. Uh, In the NIV I think it's translated walk only three different times in the book of Ephesians. But Uh, It's a a metaphor that's used in the book of Ephesians really to describe our whole way of life, our our rhythm of life, our pattern of life. And so walking is a great metaphor that we see in the Bible. Uh, I'll give you a couple of these references that we've already uh, referred to or studied through recently. Uh, But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it talks about uh, the way in which you used to live, Uh, word there is walk, the way which you used to walk when you followed the ways of the world. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 10, it says that uh, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that word do is in advance for us to walk in them. And so the idea there is to walk a certain way. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 1, Eli preached on this section of Ephesians and It talks about, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And in the NASB, it says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 17, it says uh, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live. Uh, And that word live is the word walk. And so it appears a number of times in the book of Ephesians and three times in the passage that we're going to study today, this word walk, the Greek word is peripateo, uh, appears. And it's a metaphor that describes all of our lives as Christians. At least that's how it's used in this passage that we're going to study. Now, if you think about physically walking, walking actually seems really simple. It's a simple task. Uh, In fact, we've all done a number of walking, uh, or quite a bit of walking this morning. Before I left my house, I think I walked about 1,200 steps, uh, and so I'm probably right around 2,000 this morning. Uh, But we walk all the time, physically. Uh, A child can learn how to walk, and so somewhere within that, uh, give or take a few months, the, the range of a year, a child learns how to walk, and And so it seems like this very simple task, and yet when you think about walking, it's actually a pretty involved process. It's using uh, a number of our muscles and joints, and uh, our brains are used to to kind of put our body in motion so that we're walking in a certain pattern or rhythm. Uh, Even things like our vision allows for us to kind of detect our position in the world, uh, and so we can walk through the world that we live in or our surrounding environment. 
Uh, and even our inner ear is involved in helping to maintain balance. I'm guessing Rebecca could tell us a lot more about how the inner ear is involved in maintaining equilibrium in our body. And Now, I don't think Paul had all of that in mind when he used this word walk, but it's a picture that's being presented of a certain way of moving in the world. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, is we're learning how to move through this world that we live in. Our Christian walk, to use this metaphor, by the way, you're going to hear me use the word walk probably a thousand times in this lesson, but our Christian walk is the cumulative effect of weaving together, uh, weaving together our knowledge of God, our knowledge of sin, our knowledge of God's word, uh, weaving together our faith, ordering our relationships and priorities and values and attitudes uh, and so on, into an entire way of living in this world. Physically, there's rare circumstances in which we actually, as adults, have to learn to walk all over again. As Christians, we have to learn to walk all over again all the time. Uh, in one sense, every stage of life, every season of life, every new struggle in life, provides a new opportunity to learn how to take what we see in the Bible and learn how to walk it out in our Christian life. And so you learn how to do certain things if you're a disciple as a teenager, then you go on into the campus ministry, and you're walking, walking is very much the same, but it's a new situation and it's a new uh, time of learning when you head into the campus ministry. Then you go on and eventually maybe you get married or you have kids and all of those things provide a new opportunity to learn how to walk in the world. And so we have to learn this all over again. Physically, we walk differently depending on the type of terrain that we walk on. Uh, if you think about it, if you're going to take a walk today, maybe along the river, it's a nice paved way, walkway along the river and it's dry outside, you probably don't think too much about walking. But a month ago, if your driveway is frozen over with ice, you probably walk a little bit differently in that environment uh, because it's more dangerous, more difficult. You're going to be a little more ginger uh, as you walk through that environment. Uh, if you walk up maybe a mountainside and there's rocks that are sort of crumbling beneath your feet, you're going to be very careful with every step that you take. You're going to be careful in how you walk. And that ties into the passage that we're going to start out with that's about walking with wisdom. Here's what Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. And the word there is walk. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he just tells us, be careful how you walk. Be very careful how you walk. And the reason he gives us is because the days are evil. In other words, the terrain that we're walking in is difficult and dangerous. You know, the Bible talks about the evil in the world quite a bit. Uh, in fact, later on in the next chapter of Ephesians, the Bible talks about the evil one and the flaming arrows that the evil one shoots, which are our faith is a shield to protect us, to extinguish those flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, the scriptures speak about evil people. 
Uh, in Matthew 12, in verse 35, Jesus talked about the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up within him. Uh, in chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul talks about fleeing the evil desires of youth. So we have the evil one, there's evil people, there's evil desires, uh, and all of this together forms days that we live in that are evil. Uh, and in fact, the world that we've lived in, the fallen world, has always been evil. Uh, it's nothing new in 2020 or 2021. Uh, it's not become suddenly more evil or more problematic. The world has always been evil, at least the fallen world that we live in. And so we need to be very careful how we walk. Another passage I'll throw out just for your own personal study is Isaiah 5, verse 20. Uh, it talks about how people confuse evil for good and good for evil. They make categorical, categorical mistakes about good and evil, confusing the two. And I think that one of the problems that we have in the world is that people tend to trust their own judgment about evil. People assume that they would recognize evil if they saw it. And I just don't think that's true. You know, I think about the 12 disciples. You have Judas the betrayer. When we think about Judas, sometimes we, I think we imagine Judas as like somebody walking with a black trench coat on and a hooked nose and a sinister laugh. And all the disciples, when Jesus talked about somebody betraying him, they immediately looked at old Judas going, I know who that is. But all of them questioned themselves. Because evil is a lot harder to discern, and it's only if we look in God's Word that we're going to be able to discern what evil truly is. Nobody is going to introduce themselves and say, hey, I'm Brad, I'm an accountant, and by the way, I'm evil. Nobody wears a name tag that says, I'm evil. But yet we see the Bible talk quite a bit about evil in the world, and the Bible's calling us, because the days are evil, to be very careful how we walk. Be very careful. So, be very careful how you walk. So how should we walk? Well, we should walk with wisdom. You know, that's one of the things Paul emphasizes in this passage. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. And he reiterates it by saying, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So how do we become wise? How do we walk in a way that's wise? Well, I could give you just a handful of ideas really quickly from the Bible. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and you'll grow wise. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, it just says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God. Colossians 2 verse 3 tells us that Wisdom, all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are found in Christ. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27, tells us to hear and to practice Jesus' teaching. And that's the one who's building their house wisely on the rock. So be very careful how you walk. Now, how should we walk? We should walk with wisdom. But we should also walk in love. And so go back to the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 5, verse 1. And Paul tells us in the first couple of verses of this chapter, 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so one of the the, insights that Paul gives us is that we should walk in the way of love. And I don't think that we should underestimate the part where it says, as dearly loved children. So how should we walk in the way of love? Well, first we should recognize that Christians are, are dearly loved children. You know, earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, Paul talked about God's great love that brought us from being dead in our trespasses and tre- trespasses and sins and made us alive in Christ. But we're called as dearly loved children to walk in a way of love that is distinctively Christian. The world has, you know, a thousand different ways to define what love is, but Paul makes it really clear where we see what love is all about, and he points to the example that we have in God the Father and God the Son, that Jesus uh, loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Personally, I think this is really challenging. There's no uh, more demanding challenge in the Bible than to learn how to walk in the way of love, to imitate the way that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, I think about uh, just relationships where, you know, I just don't naturally want to expend myself for relationships that are difficult and draining. That's not naturally what I want to do, whether it's uh, maybe how a relationship is going in my own household or in the church or uh, somewhere out in uh, the rest of the wider world. Uh, Relationships that are difficult and draining, I don't naturally want to give myself to that because it's just emotionally and uh, mentally taxing to do that. And yet I see the example of Jesus that he loved us and gave himself up for us as this sacrifice and this fragrant offering to God. You know, when you think about the relationships that you might have in your life that are particularly difficult, I imagine we all can think of some particular relationships that are like that. And if you're thinking, well, it's really hard to to maybe give of my time and my energy or to to maybe forgive or to give a kind word or encouraging word to this relationship because I just don't know if they're going to take it the right way. Will they appreciate it? Uh, We could think of any number of reasons why it's difficult to, to step out and love the people around us the way God would want us to love. And yet, if you find it difficult to give of yourself to them, I would just say don't. Don't give of yourself to them Give of yourself for them, but to God. That's what we see in this passage that Jesus did. It says that we're to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, but as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so when you think of that difficult relationship, you could just be thinking about it as a two-way exchange and think about that particular person Or you could think about, okay, I'm called to love that person for their benefit, but this is a gift to God. It's a sacrifice to God. And so there's no doubt that we're called to love one another, but 
how we think about that should be, I'm doing this because this is what God would call me to, and God is more than worthy of us giving him a sacrifice such as that in our own life. As we read on in this passage, in chapter 5, verse 3, it goes on and it talks about, uh, it says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, Do not be partners with them. Twice there it refers to sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And there should be no hint of these things in our lives as Christians. This is a challenging call, but what I would point to is I think there's a contrast that Paul's using between the way of love and sexual morality, impurity, and greed. The way of love is a way that always gives of yourself. Love is always about pouring yourself out, giving. And yet, all those other things that are not to be even a hint within God's people or among God's people are about taking. It's taking advantage of someone else. It's taking to to get what you want, to fulfill self. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed at their root are a completely opposing way of living, way of walking to this way of love that we're called to. And some of the language that Paul uses here is extremely challenging. He refers to this as idolatry. He says the person that that lives like this, will have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he refers to God's wrath coming on those that are disobedient. Now, topics about God's wrath are never a fun topic to preach on. And I don't think that people in our world easily you know, want to listen to topics about God's wrath. But I'm reminded about a commercial that I grew up with as a kid. Uh, you probably heard this commercial if you're older than me, but uh, there was a television advertisement that would have this deep voice commentator that would ask this really sobering question. He would say, what goes through the mind of a driver at the moment of impact in a head-on collision if he's not wearing a seatbelt? As he spoke, the commercial showed a crash test dummy without a seatbelt on, reacting in slow motion to a head-on collision, and as the dummy moved forward on impact, the steering wheel went right through its skull, and the commentator continued and said, the steering wheel. You can learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle up. Now, what I'm amazed by with that is there was no parents during that time that I can remember that were in an outrage. I can't believe they would use such fear-mongering tactics to talk about buckling up. 
There was nobody that complained about it. And I think the reason is, is because it was true. And I think the reason why there's an aversion to talking about God's wrath is because when the world complains about God's wrath, well, what they're saying is, uh, I have a different opinion, and I don't think what you're saying is necessarily true. And so you have no right to talk about that. And yet, as Christians, we go, actually, God's wrath is a very real thing that we read about in the scriptures. And the reason why we talk about it is because we're concerned about how people walk in their life. And so the Bible warns about God's wrath. It tells us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is right that stubborn sinners should fear because they are in danger of trading their inheritance in for eternal wrath. Unrepentant sinners are going to collide head-on with God's word. And nothing could be more motivating than to let Judgment Day play out before people's eyes in slow motion. And it may be the very thing that they need to strike trepidation into their hearts to take this seriously. You know, in verse 6, it tells us, Let no one deceive you with empty words. You know, empty words, uh, I'm reminded of the prophets throughout the Old Testament who would constantly say, peace, peace, when there was no peace. And likewise, we could act as though these things aren't a reality, and yet, yet we should not deceive people with empty words. We should acknowledge the truth of these sobering topics that are in complete contrast with the way of love that we're called to walk in. You know, this issue of greed that it refers to, I thought most clearly about this in my own life, especially as Uh, you know, the stimulus check has gone out. It's amazing where my mind has immediately gone to the things that I could spend money on and the things that I could buy or the debt that I could get rid of. And, And I just started to evaluate and examine how I'm thinking about those things. And For Just to to be clear about it, I'm not saying that we need to give our stimulus check to charity or anything like that. I'm not, but I am saying that we need to consider our own hearts and how we're going to steward not just that money, but all the money that we have. How do we steward that wisely? You know, we can see our culture's greed and materialism all around us, but what about Christians in our world? Are many Christians caught up in the same short-sighted greed. Capital One seems to think so. Uh, There's a a credit card application that was sent out uh, years ago, uh, but they sent a credit card application to a church minister that said, now you can celebrate your faith with the new Christian faith Platinum MasterCard from Capital One. And they went on, to promise that their credit card would act as a powerful witness of your faith every time you make a purchase. And these companies spend all sorts of money to figure out what's going to motivate their potential customers. Because they know that Christians, in many cases in the world, that profess to be Christians are caught up in the same sort of greed as the rest of the world. And so we'll just give out a credit card. I'll take those brand new shoes. Glory be to God. I'll take the new iPhone. Praise Jesus. 
Again, these are things that we need to examine in our own heart. To have a sobering look into our own heart and to see how that way of living is in in complete contrast to the way of walking in the world that God calls us to. And so be very careful how you walk. How do we walk? We walk with wisdom and we walk in love, but we also should walk as light. It goes on in verse 8 and says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The word there is walk. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, there's rich symbolism throughout the Bible about light and darkness. And darkness here represents ignorance and error and evil, where light represents truth and righteousness. And it says because we were once darkness, we just weren't in a dark environment, we were a part of the darkness ourselves, but now we've become light as Christians, and so we're to walk as children of light. It should affect the way that we live in the world. And if we want to do that, then we're going to try to discern what pleases the Lord. You know, the Part of the impact that light has is it exposes. The value of exposing evil for what it is is that, one, it, it makes things visible. That's what our life should do in the world around us, whether we're in high school or college or in our workplace, or no matter where we live, our lives should make visible what's in the darkness. Darkness hides the ugly realities of evil, where light exposes it. And light not only makes visible, according to Paul, but light actually makes light. He tells us that uh, in verse 13, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So not only do we expose things, but actually as things are being exposed, the potential for people to see the ugliness of their own sin and lead them to the cross is at play. It leads them to ultimately salvation where they can potentially become light themselves. It's like, uh, it's like a candle that's lit and it goes around to light other wicks. And as every wick is lit, there's more light that's being created. And so Paul tells us to wake up. Wake up. To rise and shine. To make sure that we're not being lulled into a deep spiritual sleep. You know, we can be lulled into sleep through unrepentant sin and lack of deep relationships in the church where there's actual encouragement that's going on. Lack of being in the Word. And so much more. But Paul just says, wake up. And so be very careful how you walk. 
How should you walk? You should walk with wisdom, and you should walk in love, and you should walk as light, but you should also walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, we'll skip on with beyond the passage that we started out with, but in verse 18 it says that we are to, let me find it, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. So Paul commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Now this is an extension of the the first passage that I read when it talks about walking in wisdom. Be careful how you walk. And he goes on to tell us that we should be filled with the Spirit on the heels of calling us to walk carefully and wisely. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit? Well, for one, I think it means that by implication, we're going to have to empty ourselves in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of chatter and confusion about the Holy Spirit in the religious world. Uh, Paul has already said in Ephesians that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He warned us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, and now he's telling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's interesting that he contrasts drunkenness with being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a a comparison in one sense. We might say uh, about both, the Holy Spirit and alcohol, that we're under the influence. Somebody could be under the influence of alcohol, or they could be under the influence or the power and control of the Holy Spirit in their life. But I think there's a much bigger contrast than there is comparison. Uh, In pharmacology, alcohol is a depressant. It's not a stimulant. In other words, it depresses or suppresses the working of the brain that controls everything and gives a person self-control. The Holy Spirit does the opposite. The Spirit doesn't suppress our control. It actually enhances our control. One of the fruits of the Spirit, after all, is self-control. And so it stimulates our every faculty, the mind and the intellect, the heart and the will, Drunkenness leads to wild and uncontrolled actions which dehumanize us, but the Holy Spirit leads to self-control and makes us more and more like Christ. It would be a serious mistake to think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a type of spiritual inebriation where we lose control of ourselves and get worked up into some sort of an emotional frenzy Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is not lack of control, but self-control. And a lot of people in the religious world today make the mistake of being led by the Spirit means to be lost in some sort of enjoyable emotional experience. And certainly joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but, but there's control as well. The result of being filled with the Holy Spirit here is It talks about speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. It talks about singing, about giving thanks. And in the next verse that we're going to study next week, it talks about submission. All of those things are related to a life that's filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And so be very careful how you walk. Walk with wisdom and in love and as light and by the Spirit, because the days are evil. The terrain that we're walking in is difficult and dangerous, and so be very careful how you walk. Let's pray for our time to take the Lord's Supper, and let's reflect specifically, I think, on the first couple verses here of chapter 5 that points to this way of love and how Jesus loved us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Uh, God, we are so grateful for all that you've done in Christ, the work uh, that you've done in and through him. uh, As he loved us, as he gave himself up for us and uh, provided this fragrant offering and this sacrifice to you, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand just how dearly loved we are. Help us to understand the Spirit uh, and how you empower us to live out a life that's in line with your will. I pray that you give us great wisdom Love, help us to be as light in the world, and I pray, Father, that as we reflect on the cross this morning, that you would help us to examine the way in which we've, we walk in this world. We love you, we thank you, uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.